The James Bond films have been some of the most successful uh, film franchises over the last several decades. And James Bond is a special agent with British intelligence. He's 007. And uh, throughout this, this series of movies, there have been seven actors that have played them, played James Bond. The original was Sean Connery. Uh, he's a lot of people's favorite. Uh, he was followed by David Niven, who wasn't in this picture, so he's, if that's your favorite, sorry, he didn't make it in the picture. Uh, George Lazenby, Roger Moore had a long run uh, there, the third one, followed by Timothy Dalton. The final two Bonds were Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. And so if you were to ask people who their favorite Bond is, who the best Bond is, you'll get some strong opinions from people. People have a, a they, they, this is who Bond is, everybody else doesn't, doesn't measure up, doesn't, doesn't touch this person. And so for a lot of people, they like the original, they like Sean Connery, he's, he's, the, he's the real James Bond, and everybody else is just trying to, 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 to make it like Sean Connery. And then some people you know, really like Roger Moore. He was in a lot of the, the Bond movies. And so he's, he's their favorite one, and they like him a lot. I, I personally really like uh, Daniel Craig, the latest James Bond. But whoever you like best, you think that every other Bond is just borrowing the real Bond's tuxedo, right? Uh, that, that he's not really the guy. And sometimes we're going to try to be that hero, to try to be that hero in our story, we think we can just sort of step in and fill the role. In our passage this morning, these, these Hebrew Christians were looking back to Moses and saying, let's let that guy be the hero. We really liked it when we were, when we were listening to Moses. But we're all just simply trying to put on somebody else's tuxedo, Jesus' tuxedo. So why are we looking for another hero when Jesus is better? So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to continue our series called A Better Hope, uh, where we're looking today in chapter 3 at how Jesus is a better Moses. So if you have your Bibles open, I'd ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word if you're able. Hebrews chapter 3 in verse 1. The word of God says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Thank you. You may be seated. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture today, 2022, and we think about how we want to apply this word into our hearts today, the action step for us this morning is this, for you to put your confidence in Christ. I want you to put your confidence in Christ, because as we see in this passage of Scripture this morning, 
Christ is the head of the house, and secondly, he's the hope of the house. And so we're going to begin this morning with how Christ is the head of the house. In verse 2, the author of Hebrews says to us that he, Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. So he's drawing a, a comparison here between the role that Moses played and the role that, that Christ played. And one of the first questions that has to be addressed in this passage is, what is, what is meant here by the term God's household? They're, they're talking about how Moses was, was faithful in God's household, how Christ was faithful in God's household. So what is it talking about? This is a common analogy that you'll find throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament to describe God's people. God's household is, is, is used to describe God's people. And so in the Old Testament, it would refer to God's chosen people, Israel. In the New Testament, it would refer to the church. In Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 33, Paul says, What should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. And why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. So they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it's written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over, and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. And so the, the household of God refers to all of those in the Old Testament who were trusting in the promise of the coming Messiah by faith, and for all those in the New Testament who trust in the Messiah who came by faith. That is the household of God. And so Jesus is the stone that's referred to here in Romans 9, the one that was placed in Zion upon which we stand. He is the head of this house. But Moses is one of the heroes of the faith for the Jewish people, for Christians for that matter. I mean, he's, a, he's an incredible uh, person in the Word of God. Here in the United States, we have Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is always used as an analogy to describe, uh, you know, the, the, the top people, right? You, they talk about the Mount Rushmore of sports and the Mount Rushmore of this. And, you know, we have it here at the Mount Rushmore, we have George Washington, we have Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, uh, some of our greatest presidents that are there on Mount Rushmore. Well, if they made a Mount Rushmore for uh, Judaism, then certainly Moses would be on it. You'd have Abraham, and you'd have David, and you'd have Elijah, you'd have Moses. They would, their faces would be on that mountain. In fact, when you get to the New Testament, in, in Matthew chapter 17, in verses 3 and 4, it says, Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I'll set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And so that, that moment, that special occasion that happened with the disciples where Jesus was transfigured in front of them, who is it that shows up? Moses, right? He's there talking with Jesus and with Elijah. And that's because Moses is the great lawgiver. And he's the one that, that rescued the people from the Pharaoh who cried out, let my people go. He's the one that God gave the Ten Commandments the one that led the people through the wilderness for 40 years. He, along with his brother Aaron, began the priesthood. He writes the Torah, which is Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I mean, 
Moses is the man to the Hebrew people. In fact, they're quoting here from Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, where the Lord says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. And so the author of Hebrews here is showing this commonality between Moses and Christ in that regard. But then he says in verse 2, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was in all his house. And so there it is. They're both faithful as leaders. They're both shepherds over their people. I mean, the author of Hebrews is not putting Moses down. Now, he certainly could have. There's a lot of things he could have brought up, you know, like the fact that, you know, Moses broke the Ten Commandments, that he struck the rock, that he didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb after they returned from the promised land. I mean, there's, there's lots of things that he could have brought up about Moses, but he doesn't. He's extolling Moses as a faithful servant over God's house, that Jesus and Moses are faithful servant leaders. They both serve God's house. They're both worthy of honor. But here's what he says. If you like Moses, you should really like Jesus because he's better He's the better Moses. In verses 3 and 4, he says, Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. So he's saying that Jesus is the builder, Moses is just the house. Every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. And so he says, Jesus is worthy of more honor because he's the builder of the house. He's not the house. He goes, it's not Moses. In fact, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he would come to have first place in everything. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul says that he subjected everything under his feet. He's appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And so what the Bible teaches us is that Christ is the head of the church, that he's the first place in the household. It's all through him and to him and for him. All of it belongs to him. It's not me. It's not any other leader. It's not any other pastor. It's not that pastor that you read his book and you thought that he was really good. It's not that pastor that you watch on TV that you thought was so good. It's funny, at, at, at my last church in, in Jacksonville, Florida, there were some really, really good preachers there in Jacksonville. And I knew that probably about half my church would get up on Sunday morning and they would watch this one pastor's service on TV. And then they watched the second pastor's service on TV. And then they would come to church for a third string sermon, you know, at church. But they were really good preachers. I mean, they, they were great. I like listening to them, too. But we're all just a part of God's house. We might be faithful leaders. We might be faithful servants, just like Moses is. But we're all just a part of God's house. And the one that you need to follow is Jesus. Because our job and our calling is to point you to him. And not to raise up ourselves. And you only listen to us. If, if we're listening to Jesus and following after him. Did you hear that? Because if we're honest, every one of these leaders will fail at some point. 
There's so many examples of pastors that have fallen. And there are thousands of people around our country that are now jaded toward Christianity, that are hurt by the church because of something that a pastor or a leader in a church did. And it stunted their growth. It's perhaps caused a crisis of belief for them. It's created bitterness and anger and resentment. And it's because these people had their confidence in a leader. And I'm here to tell you today, don't let some knucklehead keep you from Jesus. Yes, leaders should strive to walk in holiness and in godliness. They should live their lives in a way that would honor God. But even if we don't have some great fall, we're going to let you down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk by you in the atrium one day and not say hello because my mind was somewhere else. Or, uh, you know, we, you're going to say something in the flesh at some moment. You're going to sin because we're not perfect. We're not the hero. And you're asking us to put on Jesus' tux. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow, and a lot of people try to make their boyfriend or girlfriend or their husband or wife be the hero. They look at them to fulfill all of their needs. They look at them to be perfect. And they're not going to measure up to that. They look at them to, to make them complete, to fill some need or some hole that they have within their heart. And they were never meant to be your savior. You're asking them to put on Jesus' tux. And that's why we have to put our confidence in Christ. Because he's the greatest leader. He's the better Moses. He's the head of the house. We put our confidence in Christ. Not only is he the head of the house, but the author here goes on to show us that he's the hope of the house. In verse 5, he says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. So I want you to remember the occasion for this letter, right? He's writing to a group of Jewish background Christians who are now thinking about going back to Judaism. It's become hard all of a sudden to be a follower of Jesus. And so they're thinking, maybe we should go back. It seemed easier then. They want to go back to Moses. They want to go back to the law. But the reality is that Moses was pointing to Christ. And Moses was faithful in as much as he gave a faithful testimony of what was to come. In other words, Moses was faithful because he was sharing God's plan for the hope of his house, who is Jesus. And so as these Jewish Christians were considering turning back to Judaism, the hope wasn't in the law. The hope wasn't in Moses. In fact, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, we see just what Moses and the law was supposed to do. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. 
until Jesus came. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. But a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. So is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? No. If the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise would be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ. It was our tutor so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith, we are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, this is, this is what the law was supposed to do. This is what Moses was doing. He was showing us that the hope, the promise, was through Jesus Christ, that he's the hope of God's house, that he's the hope of glory. The thought that they found hope in, you know, sort of ticking off a checklist of religious activities. And frankly, there's a lot of people today that have the same sort of idea. I'm just going to check off this list of religious activities, and I'll be okay I went on a mission trip several years ago um, to Ireland and uh, was there in Ireland and the people that we were ministering to there were looking at tradition and looking at ritual and looking at, at doing religious things in order to find forgiveness and in order to be right with God. And these people would, would put their hope in uh, a loved one who passed away by paying for a mass to be said in their in their in their name, or um, by saying seven Hail Marys and three Our Fathers, and that they would be forgiven, or or they would they in this one place were putting hope in going to a particular well and putting money there to be cured of blindness because a saint visited there 500 years ago. They were putting their hope in uh, a string of beads as they were praying the Rosary. And in fact, there was a sign that was in the foyer of this chapel that we visited. And this is what this sign said. There is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, whether the temporal or above all spiritual, in the personal life of each one of us and of our families or the families of the world or of the religious communities or even the life of people and nations that cannot be solved by the rosary. There's no problem, I tell you, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the prayer of the Holy Rosary. With the Holy Rosary, we will save ourselves. We will sanctify ourselves. We will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. That was on a sign on a church, in a church foyer. And there's so much heresy in that statement, I don't even really know where to begin. But what the sign was communicating is that their hope was in this string of beads when it needed to be in the king of kings, right? That he is the hope of the house. And so what was so so sad is that these people had misplaced their hope. And we can misplace our hope as well. We can put our hope in having really good church attendance, or we can put our hope in having a Christian upbringing, or we can put our hope in doing good things. We can put our hope in being a nice person. We can put our hope in any sort of 
number of religious activities, but if our hope is in anything other than Christ, we are hopeless. It's like the song says, in Christ alone our hope is found. And that was how the author ended chapter 2. He said that Jesus put on flesh and he became like us in order to save us. And he is the only one who could make propitiation for our sins because Jesus was fully God and fully man. And any other sacrifice that we would bring would not measure up. That it had to be Jesus. He's our only hope. So in verse 6, he says, Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Earlier, he drew a comparison saying that Jesus and Moses were both faithful as servants over God's household. But now he's showing us the great contrast, and this is the important part. He says, Moses was a servant, but Jesus is a son over his household. And he says, we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. And so Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus was faithful as a son. And he, therefore, is the hope of the house. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. And so this testimony... It says Moses was faithful as a, as a testimony there in verse 3, uh, chapter 3 and verse 5, to what would be said in the future. The testimony that was to be spoken was all about the Son. The Hebrew people were, were longing for the day that the Son would come to restore the kingdom. A son of David who would come and sit on David's throne forever. The, the law was pointing to him. The prophets were foretelling of him and then the son came and he established his house forever and ever that's why our hope is only in him and he says that we're part of this house that we receive the blessings of being in God's household we receive the benefits of being a citizen he says if we hold fast to our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end in other words if we have truly placed our hope in Christ. If our confidence is in him and not in our works, if our confidence is in him and not in ourselves, if our confidence is in him and not in another person, if our confidence is in him and not in anything else. Because if we truly confess Christ as Lord, call upon him as Savior, the Bible says that there's nothing that can snatch us out of our Father's hands, that we're set upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and we shall not be moved. He is the head, but he is our only hope. And yet sometimes we try to be the hero in this story. We think, I'll just step right in there and fill that role. Or we look to another leader, another pastor to be that hero. Or we look to a relationship to be that hero. But we're simply trying to put on Jesus' tux. So why are we looking for another hero when Jesus is better? This morning there might be some here who need to trust in Jesus for salvation. I want you to know that Jesus is the hero of your story. We've messed it up. The Bible is clear that we have sinned against God, that you have and you have and I have. 
that all of us fall short of the glory of God and the penalty or the wages of our sin is death, we're in a bad way. We need a hero to save us. And the only one who fits the bill is Jesus. He is the Son of God who came to earth and lived a life without sin and stood in our place on the cross and died for our sins. He was raised from the dead on the third day so that we would have victory over our sin, victory over death, victory over Satan, victory over hell, and we would have life. The Bible says that's abundant and that's eternal in Christ. And that life can be yours today. That forgiveness can be yours today. You can be made right with God, have a relationship with him. You can have, be, be part of his household today. If you'll repent and turn of your sin and call on Christ to forgive you. And so there may be some here this morning who need to put their confidence in Christ today. That's the action step. In a minute, there's going to be leaders here across the front, and the call is for you to come to make this decision this morning if this is what God is speaking to your heart. Christians, as we look at this passage of Scripture today, the action step for us is to put our confidence in Christ as we said last week, a lot of times we recognize there's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm going to trust in Christ. But then we go, all right, I'll take it from here. And then we begin to put confidence in what we do. We begin to put confidence in ourselves or misplace our, our hope or our confidence in, in a leader or a pastor or me or whoever. I'm going to let you down, but Jesus won't. Put your confidence in Christ. He's the hero of the story. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we give you thanks this day that Jesus is worthy of more glory and more honor than the greatest leader, Moses. That Jesus is better. Lord, we're thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, may we place our confidence in him. May we not misplace our hope in other things that will fail us and other things that will let us down. But let us put our hope and our faith in the one who is called faithful and true. The one who doesn't change, who's the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, may we look to Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that have never trusted in Jesus for salvation. The day they know that they are in sin and they need to be forgiven and made right with God. The day that they would put their faith and their confidence in Christ to save them and to be their Savior. But God, I pray that you would move in our hearts during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.